Yeah, you know, it, what your pastor was talking about, uh, the bottom line is that God left us on this planet after he saved us for a reason. Well, let me ask, first of all, how many of you are saved? Jesus is your Savior. Put them up high. I know all of you weren't here yesterday. We learned this yesterday. You never do this. What does that mean even? I'm a, I'm a halfway Christian? I mean, come on, somebody. No, no, no. We're happy about being a Christian, right? Yeah. If you know Jesus, put your hand up high and smile real big and high-five the person next to you or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know if high-five is a thing anymore, but whatever. Okay, but so have you ever, I mean, like when you first got saved, I mean, I can't know about when you first got saved. I know about when I first got saved. That, I, I mean, at that time, I came out of a life of addiction. I mean, I told him yesterday, I'll hit on this just a little bit today, that, I mean, I wasn't only an addict. I was a certified hopeless drug addict. So, I mean, I had documents to say that I destroyed myself completely with drugs. Um, I got saved, and man, I just really fell in love with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And, and at this point, let me, just, let, let me just say something, and I don't take this, I don't mean this in any way negative. I, I don't. I, in fact, I mean it very positive that we, move, we keep moving on. So, so realize that you're not only in recovery, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's, hey, that's way better than recovery. I mean, because just to be honest with you, recovery implies that you're, you're a drug addict until the day you die, which is what the world tells you. I used to sit around with other drug addicts, and we'd chant that mantra to each other. Once a drug addict, always a drug addict. Once a drug addict, always a drug addict. There's only one problem with that way of thinking is it's not true. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. So, yeah, you are, you, you know, we're, we're fighting a battle, but we're going to, he's already won the battle, so we're moving on. You know what I'm saying? And so, yeah, even, I, you know, I'm not just working 12 steps, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't stop when I hit the 12 step, man. I'm going to keep growing, he's going to keep revealing his glory to me, not just in life, but in all of eternity. This is what I'm going to do for all of eternity is know Him. Know, know Him, know Him, know Him. And while we're here, we do have a great responsibility not only to know Him, but to make Him known. He left you here for a reason. Well, that's where I started. I, I actually, when I first got saved, I started saying, God, I'm ready, I'm ready just to go. I'd do like rapture practice, you know, just <laughs> kind of, let's, let's go ahead and be out of here. I'm ready just to be, because I mean, at that time, I basically had pretty much lost everything. Everybody thought I was a hopeless case anyway. I, I at that point, had very few friends left. Um, I had no girlfriend or wife or anything like that, so I mean, no kids. So basically, I was just kind of like, let's go. I'm ready to go and just go be with you, Lord. And the Lord began to make it very clear to me, no, 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 no. I've left you down here so that your life can have impact. And that's not just true of Ken Pounders, my friend. That's true of you. He's left you here so that you can shine the light of Jesus, reflect His glory to a world that's trapped in darkness. That's the facts. The world around you is trapped in darkness. I mean, 
you know, there's kind of this weird thinking going around. It's pretty pervasive that whatever truth you decide to be your truth is truth. Uh, that's just categorically false. You understand, that's just ignorance. I mean, I can say all I want to that 2 plus 2 is 8. It's not true. I mean, there are certain things that are true and there are certain things that are false, and that's how it works in life. And so you can't, I can't just decide that my truth is truth. No, no, no. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. And so you and I have a responsibility to bring truth to a world that's trapped in lies. Yeah, yeah, we got to do it. You got to do it. Now, I see about half of you right now that are like, uh, I, I, I just came to do the Sunday morning thing and go grab lunch somewhere. No, no, no. No, no, you can't, you cannot do that. You cannot say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and then say, I'm going to do life how I want to. No, 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 that doesn't fit. That doesn't work. Jesus himself said, why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? That's a very, very valid question. Why call me Lord? That means you're in charge. And so you and I are here for a reason. We're here so that our lives can have impact. Now... I want to, I'm going to do a little infomercial. Is that okay? I'm I'm not selling anything though, so don't worry. But I want to just show you a little bit of what we do. Because here's the thing. I I have a ministry very similar to, um, what do y'all call it? My my sister, MSP. Very similar to MSP, only we call ours OMA. It's Outreach Ministries of Alabama. It's primarily for men, although I do counsel and place women in programs around the country as well. Um, but yeah, it's a residential discipleship training program for men. And, um, but also I'm a missionary evangelist. And so we are in, involved in projects around the world. And most of those projects are ongoing projects. In other words, we do it every year or in some cases, even more than once a year. So I want to show you just a couple of things we're doing. Can we advance that slide? Yeah. Th- so we just finished what we call the Christmas suitcase project. And these are actually some of our kids. And as you can see, they're pretty much adorable. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Aren't those adorable kids? But those kids are desperately needy. Um, in fact, it's such a beautiful picture. The, the, uh, the, the photo actually cleans those kids up extraordinarily because I'm going to tell you, if you were there with them, they're dirty and they're grimy. And when they touch you, you can still feel it for a while. Um, but they're so precious and so hungry. And basically what we do is we go into Central American countries. We go to the poorest of the poor. We take from here whatever churches and individuals give to us. We create gift bags. And we take about 500 gift bags into a country. And Friday, Saturday, Sunday, right before Christmas, we do Christmas party after Christmas party after Christmas party after Christmas party. And it's just an absolute blast. We do crafts with the kids. We tell the Christmas story. We, of course, present the gospel, lead kids to Christ. Um, We do a pinata. Oh, man, we do other things. I can't even think of everything. And then the last thing is we give each kid a gift bag before they leave. And over and over and over again, what I heard in every community we went to this year was if you guys had not come, these kids would have got nothing for Christmas. They would have got nothing. So, yeah, they're precious. Go ahead. This is... uh, this is one of the girls. 
I'm guessing she's probably nine or ten years old. She, um, we were in Yali. This is just, you know, this is just a month ago. We were in Yali, Nicaragua. It, Yali is just a desperately, it's way up in the mountains, desperately poor place. And we were in the poorest neighborhood in Yali. And um, so what we were actually meeting in, trying to get the size, maybe maybe about a fourth of this room, maybe just a little bigger than that. But about, if you cube this up into four quadrants, about a, the, their church was about the size of a fourth of this sanctuary. And we had well over 100 people in there. And uh, it's, it's just a shack, just to be honest. And I'm going to tell you something. Where I keep my lawnmowers is way nicer than where these people meet for church. And so we had over 100 kids, plus adults, plus our team in there. So my photographer decided to position herself outside of the building uh, so that as the kids got their gift bag, she could get pictures, and she, she caught a few pictures of this girl. She walked out the door. She's got her gift bag, and um, she opens her gift bag, and in her gift bag is probably a doll, a jump rope, some coloring books, some stickers, uh, some candy. I mean, that's all stuff I would have went for first. But she opens her gift bag and went right to the bottom of it, pulled out a toothbrush and stuck it up in the air and hollered something. And my photographer asked an interpreter, what did she just say? And she said, I've never had one of these of my own before. I mean, I can't even believe it. It's just, I mean, like, I think I've got five or six toothbrushes in a drawer somewhere. They've never been opened yet. And this girl's never had a toothbrush of her own. So, that's why we do this particular outreach is, is to just bless these kids, but then also to give them an opportunity to receive the gospel. And we actually ministered this year to about 475 kids in Nicaragua, and over 200 of them made decisions for Christ. And I'm going to tell you, let me say something about that. I noticed one day we were in one of the most difficult neighborhoods that we minister in. In fact, we have to warn our workers, these kids, will, they can hurt you. So be, be alert. Don't let them crawl on you because, I mean, we literally, last year I had a young girl, some boys had her in a chokehold and she was turning blue before we got to her. So, I mean, these kids, are they're rough. And so we were expecting the norm being really rough there. But actually I was blown away because this year the presence of God just descended on that party. And I as the gospel was being shared, I looked at, I'm talking little kids that were riveted. They were lit. I had one of the guys that I, that I trained here outside of Huntsville, Alabama was with me down there and he was sharing the gospel and these kids were hanging on every word he said. And by the time he opened up for them to come to Christ, they were literally kids with tears streaming down their face, came forward to surrender their lives to Jesus. It's just a sweet, sweet time. And let me just say this, since I'm talking about this, before we know it, we go in mid, mid to late December, and that's, that'll be here before we know it. And if you want to go, you could go. And if you, can't, if you can't go, then you could, if you want to get gifts together and send them to us and help us do it, we could use your help. It's a great, great, great outreach. Go ahead, next slide. This is another one of our kids. And that's what we get, man. Look, her eyes are bugging out of her head. It's like a treasure trove. An American kid would look at it and go, and throw it to the side. But these kids are like, what? Go ahead. Next, next. Okay, this is where I'm headed next. And this is kind of what I wanted to say to you. I, I leave 
two weeks from today, actually. I'm between then, I'm going to New Orleans. We're doing an outreach in New Orleans among a bunch of heathens at Mardi Gras. But uh, two weeks from today, I'll get on a plane. I'll go to Davao City, Philippines. And actually, these are all young people that we're training in Davao City. They're all called to missions. And all of them, pretty much every one of them are saying, I, I, I want to go to a people group that have never heard the gospel. That's, that's their focus. And they're sold out. Last year, about the same time I was over there, and I'm going to tell you something, as we met together, because basically I meet with these students every morning, all morning, from 8 o'clock till noon. Then in the evening, we do evangelistic outreach there in Davao City. And um, every morning, the glory of God would just fill that room. One morning in particular, I don't even know, I don't even know how it happened. I mean, I just know what happened to me. And the next thing, I mean, first thing I knew, I was in the floor on my face. The glory of God was so strong in that room. And then I looked around and realized that everybody in the room had done the exact same thing. We're boom, we're all on our face before God. And morning after morning, the Lord just met with us. Because, I'm going to tell you why, because these kids are so hungry for the gospel. And so, yeah, it drives me to, to go to them again and again and again, to train them, equip them, and get them ready to go do what God has called them. And they're already doing it. When they get a break, like I, I just got an, uh, a, uh, um, well, it was an ongoing thing, some emails and some social media posts. About five of them spent the whole fall, um, they went for like three months to Thailand to minister among unreached people in Thailand. So just a great opportunity. If you run out of stuff to pray for, two weeks from today, I leave. Pray for me as I go minister to those guys. Okay, let's look at a message. Ready, set, go. Yeah. Day of good news. Second Kings chapter 7. Let me just say that I am really excited to be here to minister to you. And of course, that would be, that would be a really good thing to say, um, you know, to say anytime I guess you're preaching somewhere, to say how excited you are to be there. But I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I am definitely more excited to be some places than others. Just to be honest with you, there's a lot of churches I minister in. They're good people. I love them. And why can't I find the passage? Hold on. It's like I'm just thumbing, continue. There we go. They, yeah, they're good people. There's a lot of churches I'm in. They're, they're great people, and I love them, and, and they, I know they love the Lord and all that kind of thing. But you know what? Just to be honest with you, those people are pretty much doing what they're going to do. Their life is in motion. They're, they know what they're, they, they're going to get up and go to work and come home and watch TV and, you know, on Sunday break the routine and go to church and all that kind of thing. And that's about all they're going to do. But I have a keen sense when I minister here that they ain't no telling what you might do. I'm telling the truth. Now, I'm sure there's a few of you that you're just kind of set. You're good people. You love God, and you're going to come to church here, and you're going to do what you're going to do, and that's it. But there's a bunch of you here. I, I sense it keenly that you're just like at a place where it's like, God, whatever you want to do, I'm in. And friend, I'm going to tell you something. I believe that's exactly what he's looking for. I believe it's exactly what he's looking for. We touched on this yesterday. He said, he said to those guys in the boat washing and mending their nets, he said, um, come and follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. Did they have any idea? Do you think, they, you think in that moment they understood that you and I would be here today 
saved, set free from, from our, our horrible life, we would be here today because they said yes to Jesus. You realize that, right? I mean, them saying yes to Jesus set in motion you saying yes to Jesus. And so in consequence, it's going to happen again going forward. Should the Lord tarry a generation, two, three, four generations from now, there's going to be people saved. Why? Because you said yes to Jesus. It's true. It's absolutely true. So let's just look at this story because this is a, this is a fantastic story. In fact, I want to encourage you, if you have a tendency to go on autopilot while the Scriptures are being read, don't let it happen today. Don't let it happen because this is, to me, this is one of, one of the best stories I've ever read, period. Not just in the Bible, anywhere. So, 2 Kings, <coughs> chapter 7. Then Elisha said, listen to the word of the Lord. Well, there's good advice. Listen to the word of the Lord. Elisha said, listen to the word of the Lord. Now, let me explain why I think he made that statement. Because I believe he had already been giving the word of the Lord and it was being rejected. It was being doubted. There was all kinds of stuff going on. So he says, hey, hey, I'm going to say it again. So listen up. Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Now, I read that to you, and unless you've read the chapter before, that means nothing to you. You go, okay, great, we can buy flour in the gate of the city for rock-bottom prices, so what? Well, because while he's saying this, things are absolutely out of control in Samaria. No, no, no. I mean things, you, probably everyone in this room could describe a time in your life when you had it bad. You ain't never had it that bad. In Samaria, there's famine and they're under siege. You, you know what it means to be under siege? It means an invading army has surrounded your city. You can't, nobody can come or go. They're not letting any supplies to come in. You're in there slowly being starved to death. And Samaria is now at the breaking point. I mean, they, it, it is incredibly bad inside the city. To the point, remember he just said, tomorrow you can buy a, a measure of fine flour for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of this city. Well, that's very difficult to believe because today, a donkey's head, a donkey's head is selling for 80 shekels of silver. 80 shekels of silver. A donkey's head. What do you do with a donkey's head? I mean, do you throw it in the crock pot with some potatoes and carrots? I, I mean, what do, you, what do you do with a donkey's head? I doubt any of you on your menu for lunch today is a donkey's head. No, but they're eating donkey's heads for 80 shekels. That's a fortune. A fortune. And he goes on to say that about a pint of dove's dung is selling for five shekels. Five, five times what a measure of flour is going to be selling for tomorrow. A dove's dung. Let me translate that for you. That's dove poop. Again, what do you do with dove's poop? I mean, what do you make soup? I mean, I don't know. 
I'm just telling you, things are extremely bad in Samaria. And listen, you know, this is not funny. It gets worse than that, that they're actually eating each other to the point that they're eating their own children inside of the city. The king becomes livid. And let me just say at this point before I read any further, there's basically kind of um, four players in this story. And of course, this is not just a story, this is history. There is the prophet, Elisha, and he's prophesying what God's about to do. There is the king, he's responsible for what's going on in the city. There is his royal officer or his chamberlain, his right-hand man. He's involved in the story. And then there's four lepers, not leopards, not cats with spots, lepers, men who have a disease called leprosy. And so there's four terminally ill men that are involved in the story as well. So let me keep reading. Tomorrow, rock bottom price is right here in the gate. And the royal officer on whose hand the king was leaning answered the man of God and said, if God could make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then the man of God said, behold, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you'll never taste of it. Now there were four lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why do we sit here until we die? Again, pay attention, listen to this. Four lepers, four hopelessly sick guys. They're, they're also outcasts. They're unclean, ceremonially, and so they're not allowed in the city. So they're out here kind of in no man's land. They're outside the gate of the city. They're between the enemy camp and a city that's being starved to death. So here's these four guys, and one of them all of a sudden, take note of this, one of them all, I mean, how long have they been sitting here? They've been sitting here for years. And all of a sudden, one of them goes, why are we sitting here? Why are we sitting here until we die? If we go in the city, they're dying in the city. We'll die with them. If we sit here, we know the outcome. We're going to die. That's all we're doing is sitting here dying. Why don't we just get up and go right at the enemy's camp? Let's just, let's just get up and go and see what happens. Let's just march out there. And so he said, why do we sit? He said, let's go over to the camp of the Aramaeans. If they spare us, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. Big deal. We're dying anyway. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Aramaeans. And when they came to the outskirts of the camp, behold, there was no one there. Listen to this. For the Lord had caused the army of the Aramaeans to hear the sound of chariots and the sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the king of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight, and they left their tents, their horses, their donkeys, even the camp just as it was, and they fled for their life. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from their silver and gold and clothes, went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, but we're keeping silent. If we wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come. Let us go and tell the king's house. 
Father, thank you for your word and pray, God, that today you would touch our hearts, challenge us, stir us up to be the men and women that you've called and purposed us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I don't know, man. Every time I read this story, I just get overwhelmed. You know, this story makes me want to go do something. Go do something. Go make a difference in my world. Why do we sit here until we die? I'm just going to be honest with you. We are those lepers. That's us. That's us. And just to be honest with you, most of you do life every day with people that all they're doing on this planet is dying. That's it. They're just trying to survive. I mean, let's just be honest. Many of us have lived our lives this way. Just trying to get one more paycheck to get enough food and a roof over our head or whatever, just to survive one or two more weeks so that we can do it again, so that we can do it again, so that we can do it again, and really not making any real impact at all in life, just taking up a space. Am I telling the truth? We're like those lepers. Just sitting there waiting to die. What do you do with good news? Let, let, me, let me see the next slide. What do you do with good news? Well, let, let me just say there's actually one, one step before receive it. There's the step declare it. Because that's what the man of God did. In fact, actually it seems like the king was ticked off at the man of God because maybe the man of God had already been prophesying this. He'd already been saying God's going to come through. And we know if you read the previous chapter, the king and the royal officer basically said, okay, enough of that talk. This evil is from the Lord. So in other words, they said, God's not going to rescue us because God did this to us. And so they get angry and they're ready to kill the man of God. How do I know that? Because he, the man of God prophesied that in the end of chapter 6. He said, hey, if you would, guys, hold that door shut because that son of a murderer, he's talking about the king, is going to come to try to take my head off. And he said, let me prophesy one more time. Hear the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, God's coming through. And you're going to be able to buy groceries at rock bottom prices right here in the gate of the city. Well, something happened. When the man of God spoke the word of God, something happened. I mean, those lepers had been sitting there all along, right? They've just been there, dying. And all of a sudden, and notice something, notice something. They're not in the man of God's apartment. They're not even in proximity to him. They're outside the city wall. And so the man of God says, hey, listen up. Hear the word of the Lord. God's coming through tomorrow. And one of the lepers goes, let's just do something. Let, let's take action. Let, let's make a move here. Oh, what happened? Well, let me tell you what happened. The word of God is powerful. The, the Bible says the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces even to things we can't understand. It pierces even unto the division of the soul and the spirit. I, I can't, listen, I can't even hardly grasp the whole thing. of What's the difference between the soul and the spirit? No, it says the Word of God cuts even to that. He said the Word of God is living and powerful. Yeah, it's absolutely powerful. I, I know from experience it's powerful. 
I've already told most of you my story, but let me go ahead and next slide. Let me, just, uh, let me just talk just a little bit. About 36 years ago, I was a hopeless drug addict. My life was out of control. My parents paid buku money to find out that I'd never amount to anything, and they're probably already thinking that anyway. And uh, uh, that's where my life was at. But you know what? I shared with the group yesterday that God began to send some witnesses into my life. And you know what those witnesses did? They brought the word of the Lord to me. Because I had plenty of word from the devil. The word from the devil was, you're hopeless. The word from the devil was, you'll never change. The word from the devil was, this is what you'll be until the day you die. And I heard it over and over and over, and I believed it. I'll be a drug addict until the day I die. And you know, when you begin to think that way, let's just go for it, man. Let's just be a drug addict. And so that's where my life was at. But God began to send witnesses into my life that brought to me the word of the Lord. You know, there's a verse of Scripture that says this. Listen, it says, faith comes by hearing. And hearing, it's often translated hearing by the word of God. But actually, the little translation is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word concerning Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word concerning Christ. So somebody came into my life and said, if Jesus can change me, he can change you too. And that was the word concerning Christ. And something began to happen inside of me. It really did. took two years, but something began to take root. Something inside of me said, Jesus is my only hope. Other people came into my life and quoted a verse I quoted earlier. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. Boom! Word of God came inside and I began to receive it. And you know what happened? Eventually, I laid in my bed one night. I said, God, I don't want to be a drug addict anymore. I want to be set free. Now, I also, I want you to know this because I think some were a little confused yesterday. I also went through a year-long program where I could be discipled and trained how to live out my faith in Christ. So I'm not, <coughs> I'm not saying that just in that instant <coughs> that everything was taken care of in my life and it was just all a bed of roses from there. No, I had to learn and grow and battle and do business with God and all that kind of stuff. All that had to happen, but I'm telling you something. The Word of God went down inside of me and began to bring transformation. Let me tell you something that you may not know. If you go to the Islamic world, and incidentally, the vast majority of what we would call the Islamic world, the Middle East, was once the Judeo-Christian world. It's the birthplace of our Bible. And all the stories we read in the Bible happened in those countries. Now they're Islamic countries. Do you know how Islam takes over a region? Well, they do it forcibly, for one thing. Um, They use guns and knives and bombs and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, we may not like, that may sound, you know, you're not supposed to talk that way about Muslims, but it is how they take control of an area. So, I mean, like it or not, it is what it is. But you know what else they do? When they they build their mosques, they they build minarets, and those minarets all have a a speaker system in them. And five times a day, they prophesy over that system, and it goes out over that whole region, And basically what they do is they prophesy their scriptures. They they prophesy the Quran over that region. And then they take complete control of the region. You know what's interesting to me about the, the reason I say that is because actually the word of God tells us that we're supposed to prophesy into the heavenlies, but we don't do it. 
the Bible says that Christians are to declare to the principalities and powers in the heavenlies the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not supposed to just speak it to each other. We're supposed to speak it boldly and out loud into the heavenlies because when we do, it changes the atmosphere. Go, go look. It's in Ephesians. Go look it up for yourself. And so we, we prop, so what has happened? The Word of God is declared and people begin to receive it. And so here's what's awesome to me. The Word of God is so powerful that the man of God in his apartment says the Word of the Lord and this leper outside the gate goes, something just happened. So, I mean, I'm sure he didn't understand it all, but like something just happened in the atmosphere. And I'm telling you guys something. I'm not just going to sit here and die anymore. I'm going to do something. I'm going to take action. I'm getting up and I'm moving. Y'all with me or not? They said, yeah, why not? Let's go for it. Let's do it. And so they begin to move. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. What do you do with good news? You go for it. And that's what they said. Why don't we just march to the enemy's camp and see what God does? Let's just go out there. If they kill us, hey, we're dead. We're dead anyway. So if we live, if they spare us, we live, and who knows what might come of this. So let's just march right at the enemy. I'm going to tell you something. Most Christians I know are trying to hide from the enemy. Let's don't talk about him. Let's don't mention him. Oh, it's so bad. No, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Stop thinking that way. That you've got to be beat down and you can barely make it and all that kind of... Why are you going to barely make it? The King of all the earth has saved you. He's caused His Spirit to indwell you. Incidentally, that's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave is in you. How many of you are saved? Don't give me... I don't want no halfway saved. Yeah, then the same... He wants His Spirit to flow out of you. Same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So what do you do? You... What do you do with good news? You just go for it, man. You act on it. You do something. Didn't the Bible say, I believe the Bible says he's not looking for hearers of the word. He wants doers of the word. In fact, one of the best definitions I've ever heard of faith is faith is hearing God's voice, hearing God's word, and implementing it. Hearing God's word and doing it. Hearing God's word and putting it into practice. That's what faith is all about. It's me taking the Word of God and then walking out those doors and living it out on a daily basis. That's what He's called us to. That's what He's called us to. So let me give you a picture. Go, go ahead. Next slide. Oh, dude, man, that is so fun. Look at that. Do you see the little guy up there? You don't see him? No, right there. Right there, he's, he's skiing down it. Shut up, man. What? what? I mean, who in the, why in the world did anybody say, hey, let me rent a helicopter, drop me on top of this sheer cliff, and I'm going to ski down it? But I'm going to tell you, man, there's something about that that I'm just like, dude, that is just go for it, man. Go for it. Let's just, let's just see what happens. Well, I, I show you that picture because quite a few years ago now, it was a number of years ago when we were living in North Carolina. Actually, where we lived in North Carolina, it was just about an hour drive up into the high country and the mountains, the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. And during the winter, I mean, down where we lived, you know, you get some snow, but about, well, probably a little more than here, but you don't get a lot of snow where I was at in North Carolina. But all you got to do is drive to the high country, and it's all the ski resorts are up there. They got snow. And so, like, one day I decided to load up my, two of my kids, my youngest daughter and my oldest son, who at that time 
were probably about five years old and nine years old, something like that. And so I had said, I'm going to take you snow tubing. And so we drove up in the mountains. We went up to what's, what's called Sugar Mountain, and we started onto the ski resort. And there, there on the side of the mountain is the, the tubing runs. And, I mean, it looked like when you're driving by it, it looks fairly safe. And I got up and parked, and first clue that I had made maybe a calculated error was I got out of the car, and it was eight degrees up there. It's so cold. And then I went over and I rented inner tubes. I you know, rented two, one for my daughter and then one for me, and my son was going to have to ride with me um, because of his age. And then we walked to the top of the, the tubing area, and when you get to the top, driving up by it, it looks so safe. When you get to the top of it, it looks like this. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what? We're going to get on this, and I'm looking at the tube and thinking, is there a break on this thing? And... And so I, finally, I, I looked at my daughter. I said, uh, honey, you want daddy to go first? Or we? And poof, she's gone. She's on it, going. And so I said, there go my people, and I am their leader. So I grabbed my son, and I, I jumped on, and I went down. And I, I learned something that first run down is that an inner tube on ice can go about 90 miles an hour. And so I'm thinking, going down, how do you stop this thing? And then I... Looked, I realized when I was about halfway down that you stopped because they built a mountain of ice cubes at the bottom of the, the thing, so you crash into the ice cubes. That's how you stop. And so after I regained consciousness, my son was standing over me, and he was going, Daddy, that was so fun. Can we do it again? I was like, yeah, yeah. For two hours, we could do it all we want. No, but, but seriously, it was an absolute blast. And we did it, many, while we lived up there, did it many times since. Sometimes you just go for it. See, you know what I really like about that story is that my little nine-year-old daughter, she knew what to do, man. She said, get out of the way. I'm on this thing. Just go. Well, wait a minute. I'm not, I'm not talking. I'm not talking about skiing or snow tubing. I'm talking about your life. And I, I'm talking about your life with God. Why you want to play it so safe? Why, why play it safe? I'm going to be honest with you. Life's not safe. It's not. And you know what I've kind of learned is that if you let fear and worry about the future and all that stuff, if you let that guide you and direct your life, you're not going to have, even as a Christian, your life is going to be minimal. It's going to be minimal. Because he's not called us to that. I have people all the time because of the places I go and the things that I do. I have pe- I, I'm going to tell you something. When I go to the Middle East, people literally beg me not to go. Christians beg me not to go. And I'm like, why are you, why are you begging me not to go? Am I, I'm, not, I'm not safe over there, huh? I'm not in his hand in the Middle East. No, I'm in his hand there as well as I am here. And I mean, is there danger? Of course there's danger. But you know, guess what? Last time I checked, there's danger in Shelby County. You know, so why am I going to live my life all, oh, I can't, I won't. No, 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 no. Let's just go at the enemy. Let's just go for it. Let's, let's just see how many we can snatch from the fire. Let's just see if we, our life could make a difference in the life of multitudes of others because we're bold enough to take the gospel anywhere and everywhere and boldly proclaim it. I believe it's what we're called to. 
I don't believe it's just me. You say, oh, that crazy evangelist, that's what he said. No, 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 I don't think it's just me, it's you. It's you, that, that we have a responsibility to snatch people from the fire. That's what the Bible says. Snatch them from the fire. I said yesterday, very soon we're going to all stand before God. There's going to be a great gathering where there's a multitude, nobody can count from every nation, tongue, tribe, people under heaven. We're going to be there, and we're going to be in the midst of the crowd with our little palm branches, praising God, and I'm going to, I'm going to just tell you something. I don't want to stand there on that day alone. I want a multitude with me that I influence them for the kingdom. I'm going to tell you guys something. Some of you experienced, some of you hadn't. One of the most satisfying things in all of life is to share the gospel with somebody that's lost, somebody that's broken, somebody whose life is out of control, to share the gospel with them and see conviction of the Holy Spirit come upon them and then look them right in the eyes and say, why don't you surrender your life to Jesus right now? I'll help you do it. Take them by the hands, pray, see them get saved, and then watch them grow up in Jesus. Help them grow up in Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. I don't know there's anything more satisfying than that. I've got friends today that are in ministry. Some of them very successful ministry. I led them to the Lord, and I discipled them. And today, God's using their life. They were drug addicts. Drug addicts. But by God's grace, I was able to help snatch them from the fire. Listen, that's not just for me. That's for you too. It's for you too. Go ahead. Next slide. What do you do? You enjoy it. Did you notice what happened? They said, let's just go for it, man. Let's just go at the enemy's camp. They went out there and there was no one home. No one. The whole... What? The whole army's gone. Why? Because God, the Lord, made them hear a sound that wasn't even there. It was four little broken down lepers walking out there and they heard the sound of not one, but three armies. That's what they said. The king of Israel has hired the, Hitt the kings of the Hittites and of the Egyptians. They brought their armies and they're coming against us. Let's get out of here. Ah! That's what they did, literally. They went crazy and ran into the wilderness. Listen, it says they didn't even take their horses. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. I, I would at least untie a horse and jumped on him. You know, I mean, how hard is that? Just go out there on time and gallop off in. No, no, no. They didn't do nothing. They jumped up and said, oh, out into the wilderness. And these guys came walking into the camp. And remember, they're hungry. They're about half naked. Their life's a mess. And they walked into the camp, and there's ribeyes on the grill and sweet tea in the pitcher. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. And after they ate enough, they go into a tent and they're like, whoa, there's designer suits hanging in the closet. They're putting on new clothes and they're finding silver and gold and they're stuffing pockets and they're coming out and showing each other how good they look and all that kind of thing. And they said, hey, there's more. So they go hide that in the ground and they go get more. What are they doing? Well, they're enjoying it. Enjoy. What do you do with good news? You enjoy it. And at this point, it's okay. Go enjoy it. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I enjoy, when you were leading worship today, bro, I was enjoying it. Good time. Just let's worship God. I enjoy my relationship with Jesus. In fact, go ahead, next slide. Look at this. Yeah, yeah. Just enjoy it. I, let me tell you something. I, I had the privilege of ministering extensively in Russia not long after the fall of, of the, after the Soviet Union began to completely fall apart. And uh, I'm going to, <coughs> every time I drink that, I get choked. 
Everybody turn to your neighbor and tell them how much you love them and how good looking they are. Go ahead, do it. <coughs> okay, maybe I can talk now. You can quit. Maybe I can talk now. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When I first started going into Russia, I mean, most of the young people had been raised communist, and there is no God. And all of a sudden, they find Jesus. And you know what I've run into over and over again? That these young people were absolutely blazing hot for Jesus. On fire. And man, you start, like, I remember one place I went, um, a city I was in, big church there. I mean, big. I, I'm probably six or seven hundred people. And, um, but a young church, just a church full of young people because, that, I mean, that's who's getting saved over there at this point. And so, I go into the church, and they, they were starting at 11 a.m., and that's, you know, that's a Sunday morning, 11 a.m., that's a church start time. Yeah, start 11, sing for about 20 minutes, a few announcements, a little bit of the Word, be out by noon, you know. No, 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 no. No, they worship from 11 until about 1.30 in the afternoon. And finally, they turned it over to me, and I thought, hey, if you could worship for two and a half hours, I can preach for two and a half hours. <laughs> But actually, I didn't only preach for about an hour and a half. I think about 3 o'clock, I concluded my message, and I said, how many of you want prayer? And the whole church ran forward. Everybody in the whole church wanted prayer. I don't know if you've ever prayed for 600 people, but that takes a while. I mean, even if you're just going, bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord, it takes a long time to pray for 600 people. And so I'm praying for these people. I'm praying for these people. The pastor there was a friend of mine. And pretty soon, he's like right behind me, and that, you know, because I'm praying for folks. And he's like in my ear, and he said, Brother Ken, come on, let's go. I said, let's go? What are you talking about? Let's go. There's like hundreds of people that want prayer. He said, oh, come on, man. They always want prayer. He said, let's go have lunch. I'm like, you kidding me? But I mean, that's the way it works. He said, no, you know, you, you try to, you'll be here all night praying for these people. Let's go have lunch. And so a hung, I saw a hunger in them. I remember one time we met in the evening for prayer. And, you know, I think, again, maybe it was six in the evening. Me and the pastor left at midnight. And these people were still praying like wild Indians. I mean, they're just going for it crazy, just praying, praying, praying. And it wasn't even, I don't think it was an all-night prayer meeting. I, I think they just were going to pray all night. Does that make sense? It, I mean, it wasn't like, hey, okay, we're going to structure this thing so that we can all somehow stay awake all night long. No, no, no. They just wasn't quitting. That's what it amounted to, wasn't quitting. What am I saying? I'm saying that it's okay. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. it in, enjoy worshiping Him. Enjoy living for Him. Enjoy declaring Him to people you know. Enjoy, enjoy Him using your life for His glory. Enjoy all of that stuff. But we don't end there. We don't end there. Look at the next one. What do you do with good news? You give it away. You give it away. Notice what they said. They're like having a good time, new clothes, gold, silver, ribeye, sweet tea, all that. And finally one of them said, hey, hey, guys, guys, whoa, whoa, hold everything. We're not doing the right thing here. This is a day of good news and we're keeping silent. We need to go back to the city, and we need to tell everybody what's happening. And so they went back to the city, and you know what happened? It just so happened that the royal officer that said, 
whatever. If God could make windows in heaven, could this happen? And the man of God looked at him and said, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, you're going to see it with your eyes, but you're not going to taste of it. You know what happened? He's the one that opened the gate and the people trampled him to death going to get the food. I, I know it's sad, but the bottom line is that's what a smarty pants attitude will get you. In fact, go ahead next slide. Let me just look at this. What about people of good news? Well, the prophet declared the good news. I left out the king. Let's just say that the king failed to believe the good news. And his chamberlain, his right-hand man, mocked the good news. But the lepers acted on the good news. We're actually going to stop there. We won't do the rest of this presentation. But the lepers acted on the good news. Have you ever thought about this? There's a book in your Bible called Acts. You ever seen that? Acts. Acts. Do you know why it's called Acts? Because somebody acted. I don't, know, I don't mean they're in a play or a movie. I mean, somebody took action. And literally, I mean, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It's, it's literally the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles and the early church. But somebody acted. The Holy Spirit moved with power on them, and they went out into their world, and they represented Christ, and they made a difference. And let me just tell you that just because the book of Acts is finished in your Bible doesn't mean the book of Acts is finished. It's not because you're still acting. You're still doing something with what God has called you to do. The Bible says, or rather Paul made the statement in the, in the Bible, in the Word of God, that we are ambassadors for Christ. Who can tell me what is an ambassador? A representative, very good. Um, basically, if Russia, if Russia wants to know what the U.S. government is thinking, the first step is not, I mean, you know, Vladimir Putin or whatever his name is doesn't call up Donald Trump first thing. That's not what happens. The very first thing is they contact woo the ambassador that's located right there because he represents the U.S. in a foreign country. So the first step is, let's find out what is the ambassador saying? What is he thinking? Well, friend, I'm going to tell you something. Once we come to know Jesus, you and I represent heaven on planet Earth. We represent the throne room in hostile territory. And when the world needs to know what is God thinking, what does the Word of God say, what is heaven like, they're, for the most part, they're not going to the Bible or to church. They're going to see you out there in society who profess to know Christ. They're going to want to see what, what is heaven like based on your life. Your life. So we're called to take action. We're called to make a difference in our world. We're called to be ambassadors for Christ. You know what Paul said? He said, we are ambassadors for Christ. It is as though God were begging you through us, be reconciled to God. Let me say that again. Paul said, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ. And it's as though God is begging you through us, be reconciled to God. Well, that gives me a real big hint about what I'm supposed to be doing. 
I'm supposed to be going out and being a mouthpiece for God and saying to people who are lost, begging people who are lost, be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus because he can change your life. Let's bow our heads together. Every head bowed, please. In fact, I want you to do this. Make an altar right where you're at. Just get still for a moment and let me speak to your heart. I want to ask you first because I don't want to assume. I don't want to assume that all of us are right with Jesus in this room today because it could be that you came in here and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. You never asked Him to forgive your sins. Never asked Him to take control of your life. And if that's you and you're here today, I'm going to tell you something, my friend. Listen to me. You're in the right place. Because there's nobody in this room that saved themselves. Nobody here that's good enough for God. None of us here that can say, I'm without sin. Not true. All of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. And anybody in this room that is saved or right with God, it's because... One day, they humbled themselves before Him and said, God, I need a Savior. Please forgive me and cleanse me. This could be your day. This could be your day. If you're here and you say, Ken, I'm not right with God. I need a Savior. I want you to lift your hand where I can see it. I'm not right with God. I need a Savior. Anybody? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Not where I should be with Jesus. I need a Savior today. Okay, please, let me go one step further with that. Maybe you're here and you've made a commitment to Christ, but you would be honest and say, you know what, Ken, I'm slipping. I'm not headed the right direction. I'm allowing things that I once repented of to begin to take control of my life again. And if I stood before God today, I don't have confidence. I need Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand high where I can see it. That's you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Here's what I'd like you to do. In fact, everybody, everybody can just look at me for a moment. I want you who lifted your hands, I want you to come to the front. I want you to stand facing me. Just make a semicircle right here. Come quickly. You that raised your hands said you need Jesus. Come, come. Nothing to be ashamed of. Absolutely. Listen, don't sit back down because there's nothing to be ashamed of. This is the best decision you could ever make. If you need to get right with God today, if you either you've never made a commitment or you've slipped away, get up and come down here and stand right in front of me. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Okay, here's what I want to do next before I pray with you guys, and we're going to do that in just a moment. I want you to turn to the person beside you. I want you to look them right in the eyes, and I want you to ask them the simple question. If you stood before God today, are you sure you're ready? And wait, wait, don't do it yet. If you stood before God today, are you sure you're ready to stand before Him? And if they say, I'm not sure, I don't know, no, I'm not, anything like that, Say, I'll go with you. Take them by the hand and bring them here. Turn to the person beside you and ask them that question. If you stood before God today, are you ready to meet Him? Are you ready to stand before Him? Yeah, they're here. They're here. Yes, good. Come on. Any? No, I'm being serious. Yeah. Anybody else? It should be down here. Scoot in as close as you can. I, I kind of want to see everybody. Yeah, let, kind of make gaps and let people slide in. Okay, more. Yes, praise God. Come on in. You guys move up a little closer. Let them slide in behind you. Okay, everybody look at me for just a minute. Everybody look at me for just a minute. 
basically all we really want to do. I mean, this, I know probably some of you have prayed a sinner's prayer before or whatever. Really, what we're really wanting to do is give our heart to him. Just to, to publicly assert, Jesus, you can have all of me. So I ask you a question. I want you to answer me out loud. Is that what you want to do? Yes? Everybody kind of nod. Yes? That's what you want to do? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it out loud. Say out loud. Out loud. Pretty good. And we're going to pray real loud because we're not ashamed. I mean, some of you are here right now because in the past you've been a bit ashamed of your relationship with Christ. Friend, there's nothing to be ashamed of. 